Good evening, Clifford Baptist Church. Wednesday evening, May 13th. Thank you for being a part of our study tonight. Uh, as we come together, we know God blesses us in meeting us whenever we open His Word. And the book of Revelation teaches us that whenever we open His Word, we receive a blessing. I think that's not just for one book of the Bible. I believe that's for every single book of the Bible. We cannot turn to the right or to the left, but stay with his truth word for word so thank you god bless you for joining me tonight on this wednesday night for study uh, as i get ready to open the bible let's have a word of prayer together our lord our god thank you for these precious wednesday nights lord even in the midst of uh, a pandemic a flu that is going through our country and our world lord thank you that we continue to have the capability of studying your word, opening the word of God and allowing it to teach us and speak to us and direct us and continue to give us the word of God that we need in order that we can be the witnesses in this world that we need to be. Lord, I thank you for the family of God at Clifford Baptist Church. I thank you, Father, for every believer uh, who wants to take your good news to the world, Lord. And so as we open your word tonight, Father, we know that it is going to speak to us. I thank you for the honor and the privilege to be the teacher here tonight, Lord. But ultimately, you're the teacher. And I surrender the reins of control to you, Father. I pray that you will use me to give your word to your people. Thank you that we gather before you tonight, Lord. Thank you that you pull up beside us and help us to understand uh, your word of God, which is so wonderful, sometimes so complex, but always the truth that we need to hear. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And tonight we know that prayer does work. Uh, Chad was just booting up the system, and we came to within a couple minutes of getting online when that system came through. So uh, praise God, we're together here tonight right on time. This is lesson number 13 in our study as we are studying through the entirety of the Bible and the thread of truth and the thread of faithfulness that runs throughout the Bible, and we're making that connection. The Bible is not simply a, a collection of disconnected stories or accounts, but rather it is the love letter of God and there is a flow to this letter and my prayer is that as we study this letter of God together that uh, you will be and I will be more aware of how God's letter flows to us and how it is connected together by his truth and his love uh, and his word to us that we might be his people so lesson 13 we are still under the lesson heading of the exodus and the promised land and tonight we're going to study Joshua. So turn with me in your Old Testament to the book of Joshua. And that's where we will be tonight. Let me give you a little recap of last week so that we can all catch up. If you missed that lesson, let me give you a little bit of what it's about. Lesson number 12 last week ended with the Israelites perched on the very edge of the promised land, ready to move in. If you remember, they were wandering in the wilderness out of Egypt. They had been released from Egypt as slaves there, as captives there, by the very hand of God. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And if you were not here for last week's le lesson, let me restate that that 40 years in the wilderness after they left slavery was not necessary. Someone calculated that to leave Egypt and go to the edge of the promised land should have taken 11 days of travel. And yet, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. 
The reason they were there for so long, from 11 days to 40 years, the reason God extended their time in the promised land is because they refused to follow God in faith, and they turned Him away over and over again, and they refused the leadership of the great leader that God had chosen in the man of Moses. In fact, if you remember last week's lesson, if you were with me, Moses was driven to the very edge of sanity with these people sometimes. He was at the very end of his rope as he dealt with them because of their faithlessness, because of their distrust of God and distrust of him. But Israel refused to follow, and that is why they remained in the wilderness for some 40 years. Every day of that 40-year period, God was with them. God took care of them. God was faithful to them. God fed them. God gave them water. God gave them provision. And yet he allowed them to wander because of their faithlessness. And they whined, and they complained, and they bellyached the whole time they were in the wilderness. And so God let them stay there. He let them be out there because of their actions toward him and toward Moses he provided for them but he allowed them to stay even as they complained God stayed with them now here is a fact that you might not remember Uh, God provided so much for this ungrateful people but God was with them every day of that 40-year period and in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 5 it tells us that In that 40-year period, their clothing and their shoes never wore out. They never had to replace their clothing. Somehow, I guess, as children grew and the Israelites, that their shoes expanded with them, but their shoes and their clothing never wore out. That was by God's miracle of blessing and provision to Israel, even in that 40-year period. Uh, In the last lesson, as we studied them being in the wilderness after 40 years, they now stand ready to enter Canaan land, the promised land. And Moses is giving them the last words of direction uh, from God, and he turns the leadership of Israel over to the very capable man of Joshua, one of the two spies who went into the promised land and said, yes, we can take it. He, along with Caleb, brought back that positive report. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of an apology Uh, And yet, it's just a little apology in that last week's lesson was a little over 45 minutes. But I, I remind you that we are going through the entire span of the Bible in 30 or a couple 32 lessons Uh, and so I've really got to move on but I hope you understand that a 45 minute lesson in the midst of covering the entire Bible in a few lessons such as 30 32 lessons uh, is a daunting task so just hang with me if you need to uh, break your listening back into two sections when you re-listen to those lessons that's all right but uh, hang with me stay with me as we go through the entirety of the thread of the Bible and the love of God as it runs through and courses through the Bible. At the end of the lesson last week, lesson 12, Moses dies. And God blesses Moses, even though Moses does not go into the promised land because of an act of distrust on his own part. We discussed that last time. God takes Moses and buries him in a place that no man has ever found, and yet he is certainly a son of God. We see him at the transfiguration in the New Testament. We know that ultimately Moses comes to God's promised land, and the ultimate promised land of heaven as a son of God. So we move on now to lesson 13 as God speaks to Joshua 
and tells Joshua what is going to happen as they stand on the brink of going into the promised land. Joshua is now their leader, and God lays out his plan for the Israelites. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to begin by looking at the first nine verses. So stay with me here. Look at Joshua 1, 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto thy fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou shalt have good success. And so as we see these verses, looking at verse 9, concluding here, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So here's a huge promise that God transfers from Moses on to the next leader, Joshua. God says, don't be afraid, be of good courage, lead the two million plus Israelites into the Canaan land because I have given you this land. It is yours. Every place that the sole of your foot touches belongs to you. It is my gift to you. And so again, God reiterates in verse 9, be, of, be strong, be of good courage, be not afraid, don't be dismayed because I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go in the land, I will be you. I will be with you, and while you lead, I will be leading you, Joshua. I'll be there with you. What a great promise. It's a promise, again, that is a thread of the Bible because that promise to Joshua is the promise to God's people today. Wherever God teaches us to go into the world with the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling you and me, be of good courage, be of strong faith, step out knowing that I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, taking the gospel of Christ, I will be with you. The same promise that God gave to Joshua at the promised land, he gives to us as we claim our land for Jesus Christ. So the Lord tells Joshua, don't be afraid, be courageous, stay centered on the word of God. You will notice that is a central part of these first nine verses. Meditate on the word, stay in the word, follow the word, know that it is the truth of God, and I will be with you wherever you go. So march on, Joshua, march on in faith. Take this people into the promised land. 
So we move to one of the great stories, one of the great accounts of the Bible, the account of Rahab. Uh, it's a most unlikely servant of God. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 forward, Joshua prepares the Israelites to begin inhabiting the promised land. And the way he begins is they're going to cross over the Jordan River, which is the boundary of the promised land, the boundary into Canaan. And then they're going to conquer the land, and they're going to possess it because God has already given it to them. Now, I want you to remember that Canaan land is possessed by all kinds of people. Remember when the first ten spies came out, they gave a, a, a report of saying it's a beautiful land, but the people are strong there. They're, they're bigger than we are. We're not going to be able to possess it. Whereas Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. So the ten said, we can't, and two said, yes, we can. But as we think about the conquest of, the, of Canaan land, that land was inhabited by all kinds of people. Flip over to Joshua chapter 3, verse 10, and it gives us a list of the kind of people uh, who were in the promised land. And it, uh, Joshua 3.10 says, And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Zebuzites. So there are all kinds of ites up there in Canaan land, all kinds of different people living in Canaan land. But you must remember this, they are all a godless lot. They are all unbelieving. They are all practicing evil. They are all a wicked people. And so God is going to clear out the wickedness so that the people of God, the people of faith, can inhabit that land. Now, the first city that they're going to need to conquer is the city of Jericho. And Joshua sends two spies into the city to check it out. Uh, and to see really the kind of people who are there and the layout of the city. And the spies come back home uh, uh, with a report of what had happened when they had gotten there. And this is the report they gave, that they got to the home of a prostitute. Uh, her name was Rahab. And they were going to check out the city, but as they went, they knew that their lives were in trouble. So they come to this home of Rahab, the prostitute, a woman of the night. She lived in the wall. There was a, a huge wall that surrounded Jericho. It was a fortress surrounded by this wall, and her house was literally built into the wall of the city to, to protect it. And Rahab knows that these spies are in great danger of being killed. If they are caught in the city, their lives will be lost, absolutely. And so she agrees to hide them on the rooftop of the wall of her house. And then she lies to the military of Jericho as they come by looking for the spies. She lies about them being there. So let me ask you this. Why does Rahab the prostitute risk her life to hide the spies. Well, look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And the Word of God teaches us this. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So she's speaking to the spies of Israel now. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when we, ye came out of Egypt. 
And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Interesting words coming from Rahab living in the city of Jericho, a woman of the night. Rahab knows that these two spies coming out of Israel are serving and representing the true God of the universe. And here's what we have to note here. She expresses a true faith in the living God. No, her lifestyle was not good. No, she was living in the midst of a godless, wicked people. And yet, Rahab expressed a true faith in God Almighty. So, in return for hiding the spies, what does she ask for? Look at Joshua 2, verses 12 through 14. Now, therefore, this is Rahab speaking to the spies, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death so as we look at those verses let's go on to verse 14 and the men answered her our life for yours If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And so Rahab talks to the spies hiding on the roof, and she has them promise her that when the Israelites invade their city, she knows the city is going to fall. She has faith to believe that those walls are going to come down and that the Israelites are going to claim Jericho. And when they storm Jericho, she is asking that her family be spared the death that's going to come to the rest of the city, that her family be allowed to live. And in order to identify her house, she has to do something. The spies tell her to put a red cord out of her window so that they will identify whose house that is and spare the inhabitants living there. Now let me ask you this. When we think about that red cord of Rahab and we think about uh, the fact that she has to identify her house with an object that is red, does that bring to mind any other usage of the color red in the Bible? Absolutely, it does. In, in, in the land of Egypt, we know that the blood of the lamb was painted on the doorposts and the lintel of every one of the homes of Israel in Egypt. So when the death angel passed over taking the lives of the firstborn males of the country, they would be spared. The death angel would pass over them. Uh, also, we see this account of Rahab when the red is displayed out of her window and her house is marked with red the death of Israel coming through the land of Jericho is going to be spared the household of Rahab because the red identifies them and then also we know that the red 
of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary identifies the believer as it paints us with the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so we know that the blood of Christ residing on his people is the identifier that death is going to pass over us because Jesus, as the final sacrificial lamb, shed his blood that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved. Do you see the thread of the Bible? Do you see the thread that begins at the first Passover? The blood of the lamb shed painting the doorposts and lintels of the home, the red of the cord of Rahab, identifying her house so that death passes over, the red blood of Jesus shed so that the, blood, so that the death of, of sin and wickedness and rebellion passes over us because we're forgiven through the blood of the Lamb. It's the thread that runs through the Bible, the thread of forgiveness, the thread of passing over us in death. Well, the spies leave Jericho. They are spared. They come back with their report, and the Israelites are ready to cross the Jordan River and head straight to Jericho and conquer that city. But remember, before they can get to Jericho, they have yet to cross over the Jordan River. That's the the boundary line into the promised land. They have to cross the river before they can head on to Jericho. Now, in order to cross the river... They also have to carry with them a very precious symbol of God's presence with the entire nation of Israel. It is the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, we described that box in the last lesson, a gold box, roughly four feet by two feet by two feet, carried by staves of wood. It is so precious. There are three items in it. Aaron's rod of priestly authority and a jar of manna and the Ten Commandments written on stone carried in that precious box. It is the reminder to all of Israel that God is with them. When the Ark of the Covenant is with them, God is with them. But now this is a very, very important stopping point in the Bible. Write this down. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Take note of this. The first sheer act of faith as Israel moves into the promised land to conquer it, is crossing the Jordan River. In Joshua chapter 3, we see the Jordan River is at flood stage, and all of Israel has to get across the Jordan River in order to charge into Jericho. But they have to take the Ark of the Covenant across that rushing water. It's a scary thing. The river is in flood stage. Rains have swollen the waters to flooding. The waters are rushing through, and Israel knows that it would be very easy to lose that golden box with those precious articles in it if they, if they get into those rushing waters and the water overtakes them and takes the Ark of the Covenant away from them. It's a scary moment. But here is God's promise to Israel. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. Now, take note of this. This is a very important promise of God that establishes another thread that runs through the Bible. Here it is, Joshua 3, 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap A major, major promise of God, and I want you to understand exactly what God is saying. He says, Israel, I want you to carry the precious ark of the covenant, and the priests are going to bear that ark, and here's my promise. 
you have the faith to take that ark and step into the rushing water of the Jordan. You take the step into the river, and I promise you, when you take that step of faith, I will hold the waters back. I will not hold the waters back until you step in. Did you see that? That's, a, that's an integral part of God's Word. Take the step of faith, and I promise you, I will be with you. What an important promise that is. That's part of the thread of God. God says in order for us to be saved, we take the step of faith in Jesus Christ, and he will enact every promise of God, including heaven, to us. But we have to take the step first. The same way as we take that thread backward to the Jordan River, God tells Joshua and the priest, take the first step, and I will do my part. You have to take the first step. So the Ark of the Covenant crosses the Jordan. And as the army goes across, they complete the passage into the the soil of the promised land. Those priests were faithful to do that. God heaped up the waters and held them back. And all two million of the Israelites went across the Jordan River because of that first step of faith. And God kept his promise and kept the waters back. And Joshua, as they enter into the promised land, asks the, the Israelites to do something very important. He asked one member of every tribe. How many tribes were there? Twelve, representing the twelve sons of Jacob. So there were twelve tribes of Israel. And Joshua says, I want every tribe to have one member to bring one rock before me. So there are twelve men who are going to bring twelve rocks to Joshua. I want you to look at Joshua chapter 4. Write this reference down. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to read it independently. Joshua 4, verses 1 through 7. These 12 rocks, representing each one of the 12 tribes of Israel, are called memorial stones. And they're going to be set up so that no one would forget God's provision of bringing them across the Jordan River into the promised land. Look at Joshua 4, and we will read verses 6 and 7. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. What is God saying? Don't forget my goodness to you. And so he says, I want you to set up these 12 stones in a pattern of memorial that when your children say, what are these stones about? You will say, remember, children, God brought us across the Jordan River. He held the waters back so that we could bring the Ark of the Covenant across and so all of Israel could get across. Don't forget God's goodness. You know, throughout the Bible, we see people using stones to build memorials as gratitude for what God did in a particular time. This is the first occurrence, I do believe, but this occurrence takes place throughout the Bible. Basically, what the Bible's teaching us with these memorial stones is that we cannot forget God's faithfulness. And that's true today. We cannot forget how God has blessed us, how God has led us, how faithful He is to us day by day. And what God is saying to Israel here is absolutely true for us right now. God says, do not let future generations 
forget the goodness and the salvation and the grace that God offers to us. We can't let that memory fade away. We can't let the next generation forget how good God is, what he has done for us, what he will continue to do for them. So that's a holy charge to you and to me, for our children, for our grandchildren, for the legacy of our lives yet to come. We pass on the goodness of God. We never let our families or our church or our community forget how good our God is by providing for us and giving us salvation and grace. You know, I think... We live in a country that is quickly forgetting how good God has been to us. I believe that our country was founded on biblical principles. I believe that our country has its beginnings on the very Word of God. And I'm afraid that we're forgetting where we came from. I'm afraid that we're forgetting how good God has been to our country and the prosperity that he's given to us and his hand of protection and leading that is laid on us. And I'm afraid there's a price that's going to be paid if we don't take a U-turn here and if we don't turn back around and get our eyes and our minds and our prayers back with him. I think there's going to be a price to be paid for banning him and banning his word from our courtrooms and from our law books, and from our classrooms. I think we're going to pay a high price because we're doing exactly what God says, do not do, don't forget. Set up a memorial and remember how good I have been to you. Never forget, pass it on to your children how good I have been to you. Well, now Israel has crossed the Jordan River successfully. Jericho, the city, stands before them. It is their first conquest of the promised land. They have to take the entire promised land, but this is their first step of conquest into the land. Do you remember the old song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho? Well, it took me a long time to realize that fit, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. (laughs) That's a slang term for fought. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It was their first act of possession of Canaan land. Do you remember the battle? Do you remember how Jericho was conquered? It's one of the most unusual battles of the entire history of humankind. It's one of the greatest accounts of God's provision and God's strength in the Old Testament. It's an interesting battle. It's contained in Joshua chapter 6. We can't read the entirety of chapter 6 together tonight, but I want you to read that chapter devotionally. I want you to take in the way that God leads Israel to conquer the first city of the promised land, the city of Jericho. Let me give you the quick version. Joshua instructs his troops to march one time around the city for six days. Make one circuit around the city for six days. During that one circuit, as Israel marches around the city, claiming the city for God, seven priests are blowing trumpets of ram's horn. Now, I can't give you a very good representation of that, but it's something like, and over and over, those ram's horns are blowing as all of Israel marches around the city one time every day, every, every day for six days. They're marching. The ram's horns are blowing. Can you imagine the people looking through the crevices and the cubby holes of those walls of Jericho watching Israel march around blowing those ram's horns? 
The ram's horn is a sound of victory. I know I didn't make a very good sound of victory there, but the ram's horn, the true ram's horn, is a sound of great victory. And in fact, the Bible promises that you and I are going to hear that trumpet one day. We're going to hear the ram's horn one day. Here's another part of the thread through the Bible. Just as the ram's horn is blowing in victory, going around the city of Jericho in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, when God comes, when Jesus Christ comes to rapture his church back, it says that the skies are going to be open with the blowing of the ram's horn, the blowing of the trumpet. So we're going to hear that sound of victory just as Jericho heard it so many years ago. But six days, one circuit around, ram's horns are blowing. The seventh day, the seventh day of the week, they're going to march around the city seven times, seven circuits around the city of Jericho. And all the while, the priests are going to be blowing those trumpets. Again, can you imagine how Jericho is feeling as round and round, over and over, Israel is marching around their city, the ram's horns are blowing. And on the seventh round of the city, on that seventh day, the seventh round around the city. Here's what happens. Look at Joshua chapter 6. Go to the middle of verse 4. Joshua 6, in the middle of 4, it says, And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Well, really, this is a very extremely unusual battle plan. Marching around the city once for six days, seven times around the city, blowing the trumpets, and on the seventh circuit they're going to blow, and the walls are going to fall flat. It is based, again, friends, it is based on sheer trust that God will keep His Word. God says, if you will do this, I will see to it that the city walls will fall down. God will do what He says we will do, but we must be faithful to follow Him in His promises. And if you'll notice in this battle of Jericho, Israel didn't do the fighting. They did the marching, the blowing of the horns, but God Almighty did the fight. God Almighty brought down the walls. Now Joshua was a great man of leadership because he carried out God's will to the letter, and the battle plan went off without a hitch. By the way, before I move further, what happened to Rahab's family? What happened to the prostitute's family when they were spared, their lives were saved in Jericho? Well, look at Joshua 6. Start with verse 22. Joshua chapter 6, go to verse 22, and this is the word of the Lord. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein." Rahab and her family were the only ones saved and rescued because God had promised to keep them alive. God had promised to deliver them when Jericho fell. The first conquest of Jericho went very well, but I want you to remember, here's a discussion from last week. 
The Israelites are a fickle people. They go from complete faith to absolute faithlessness in the drop of a hat. They, they just lose their faith so quickly. And it took years, many years, for Israel to conquer the promised land because of faithfulness lapsing to faithlessness. It took many years for them to finally get uh, the promised land as their own. But their faith in God just ebbs and flows and goes and comes and rises and falls. But finally, God blesses his people to conquer uh, the, the promised land. Well, finally, when the land is under their control, uh, the, it comes time to divide up Canaan land amongst the tribes of Israel. The Levites were the religious leaders of the nation. The, the Levite tribe was one of the 12 tribes. But because they were the religious leaders, they did not get a portion of the land because of their role uh, to lead the people in faith. Look at Joshua uh, 13.33. Go to Joshua 13.33. And the Word of God says this about the Levites. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said unto them. But Joseph's tribe rounds out the 12 divisions of land because two of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, get their own portion of the land. That's in Joshua 17, 17. Well, Israel lives in the promised land for years as a peaceful people. And Joshua comes to his last days of life. He is a mighty man of God. He is a great leader who had succeeded Moses. He is the one who brought them into the promised land he's the one who led them in the conquest of the promised land even when their their faith went sour and their faith went south he stayed with them and they finally conquered the land he was a great man but as he comes to the last days of his earthly life Joshua reminds Israel what God requires of them I want you to read Joshua 23 as well So I'm giving you some chapters that I want you to read so that you can get the gist of this great book of the Bible. Chapter 23 is one of those great chapters, and it's a list of God's commands for his people to continue to carry. And I want you to read it. I want you to think about and list those commands of God that he gives to Israel because those same commands apply to us. Just the passage of time has not dimmed or darkened or watered down the command of God that we're to be living. So the commands that God gives to Israel as they're living in the promised land are still our commands today. A few of them are. Let's prime the pump. Here are a few of the commands. Remember what God has done for you. We need to do that, ladies and gentlemen. We need to remember the goodness and the grace of God. And when we do, it will bring us to worship, and it will bring us to service, and it will bring us to lay our lives down and surrender to our Savior. Remember what God has done for you. Pass it to your children. Pass it to your grandchildren. Don't let that good news die out. Also, he says, be strong. Love the Lord. I want you to look at Joshua 23.10. Flip over to Joshua chapter 23, verse 10. There's a sermon here. I'm going to do this sermon one of these days. Joshua 23.10. This verse jumps off the page at me. It says this. One man of you. Now remember, he's speaking to a people of faith in God. And he says, one man of you shall chase a thousand. Isn't that a wonderful verse? One man with faith in God can chase a thousand, 
For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. I love that verse. There's a sermon in that verse. One man of faith can chase a thousand because God is with us. God is our strength. God is our commander. And very important, here's a warning that we need to heed. America needs to heed this warning. The church needs to heed this warning. Look at Joshua 23, 16. Here's God's word when we step away from him. Here's God's word when we forget him. Here's God's word when we come to faithlessness. Here's what he says, Joshua 23, 16. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. So God warns Israel through Joshua. He says, be careful, don't forget me. If you go to a pattern of faithlessness, godlessness, and you're serving other gods, and you push me off to the side, I'm going to allow you to die. I'm going to allow you to, to be walking away from me, and I, too, will walk away from you. It's a very current promise. We need to bear that promise in mind. Now, just before Joshua dies, he makes a huge statement and commitment of faith. I think you've probably heard these words many times in your lives. If you don't know where they've come from, tonight's the night that you will find out. Look at Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15. He spoke these words just before he died, before he went to heaven to be with God. But they're important words. We need to emblazon them on our hearts. Underline these words in your Bible. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Joshua says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, what a great statement from Joshua. What a statement a thread of the Bible from the ancient time of Israel living in the promised land to this modern day. Every one of us as a Christian man or woman of God needs to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to teach my children to serve the Lord. I'm going to lead my grandchildren to serve the Lord. It is an important promise. It's an important statement that every one of us needs to make before our God. The Old Testament has not dimmed in its word, and that Word of Joshua should be our word today. It's a thread of the Bible that travels to us that we need to hear. In closing, by the way, let's come back to Rahab one more time. As I get ready to close this lesson tonight, though she did not live a perfect life, she was a, a woman of the night. The Bible calls her a harlot, a prostitute. She expressed true faith in God Almighty. Her life was an amazing life but two things happened to Rahab that I want you to take note of tonight number one she and her family are spared death when Jericho is overtaken but here's the second thing that is absolutely amazing to me about Rahab the prostitute she appears 
in the very lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as the mother of Boaz. She is also mentioned as a woman of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and she is mentioned as a woman of faith in James chapter 2, verse 25. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? God can forgive us. Our past can be dissolved. Our past and our sin and our wickedness can be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. This woman who lived a very shady life, who expressed faith in God, actually appears in the very lineage, the very family, the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to me. In fact, she's, to me, one of the most amazing people that appears in the lineage of Jesus. One last point as we close. Joshua was the mighty leader of Israel as they overtake the promised land and make it their own. Joshua is a Hebrew name. What is the New Testament Greek counterpart of that Hebrew name? Jesus. Joshua and Jesus are the same name. What we see is a thread here. The mighty leader Joshua who brings the people of God into the promised land is a picture of the mighty leader of Jesus Christ who brings his people to the promised land of heaven. And every step that we take on earth as we get to the promised land, he will be with us and he will lead us, he will bless us, he will guide us. What a great thread of the Bible. Joshua the leader shows us Jesus the Christ. Great study tonight. I'm glad you've joined me for that. Next week, we're going to move into a new heading as we continue our journey through God's Word of the Bible. We're going to move to the judges of Israel. That's a new form of godly leadership. And I want to tell you right now, we're going to move into some deep weeds of history in God's Word here. Uh, again, I know that all of this is coming at you like a machine gun, all of this Scripture and all of the things that are happening. But we're moving through. My prayer is that you'll begin to digest it now, but you'll go back to this study over and over again and think about these accounts as they join together as one thread, one account that leads us to the forgiveness and the grace and the eternal life of Jesus Christ. A good study tonight. God bless you in that. We'll meet here again next week. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you that we are your church. We thank you, Father, that we see the picture of Jesus in so many ways, the thread of your power, the thread of your faithfulness, Lord, uh, as we see it expressed in the Old Testament to Rahab and to Joshua and to Moses and to the people of Israel. Lord, that thread ties right into our day today. You are still faithful to your people. Even in our faithlessness, even in our failures, you forgive us and you lead us on that we can be your children and that we can claim this world for Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, thank you that in this unusual season of life when we've not been in church for two months that right now the wall of Jericho is beginning to fall and we're seeing church opening back up again, Lord. We're so thankful for that. Help us to be careful. Help us to preserve the health and the well-being of your people, but help us to march forward so that the church can continue to be the church and we can walk into this world as your witnesses, Lord, led by the one who will take us to the promised land. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for a good night of, of study tonight. Thank you for Chad and Kenneth working with me to bring this uh, lesson together. I pray, Father, tonight that you will bless us as we enjoy the evening and as we continue to give our life to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
and good night.